Father, we now open your word and we claim your promises that it will not return void. We ask and pray, Lord, that you might allow it to penetrate and divide and as necessary, bring repentance. We desire, Lord, to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of it as well. We ask and pray, Lord, that if this might not fall upon tickling ears, it might just it might not just tickle the ears, it might not just fall upon uh, ears that just desire to hear, but Lord, may each person in this room desire to grow closer to you and desire and love to hear your word spoken. Lord, I pray that I might not speak out of vain glory or for the promotion of myself, but that it would be for your glory and your glory alone. I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me, use the words that come out of my mouth to bring us closer to you. Father, we thank you for the opportunity this morning. It is one that we do not want to take advantage of, Lord. We do not want to miss the understanding, miss the opportunity that we have to read your word in public. The majority of brothers and sisters in Christ in the Lord around the world today cannot do this. And so, Lord, may we not take this for granted. And may we come before you with hearts of adoration, hearts longing to see your face, to know you more, to have this relationship with you. Lord, the temptation today, I believe, would be to know more about God, but that knowing would be a a knowledge base that would not correspond to a relationship. So, Lord, may our knowing grow as our relationship with you grows. Father, it's been said that the greater our theology, the greater our doxology, the greater our understanding of who you are, the greater our worship of you will be. And that would be my prayer this morning, that we might grow in our understanding of you, that you might be worshiped and seen as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the sovereign creator and ruler of this universe. So be with us now as we come to your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Psalm 19, I'm gonna read again 33 through 40. Before I read, though, let's flip over to Psalm 24. I'm going to go through a little bit of Psalm 24 as a way of introduction to Psalm 119. Tuesday night Bible study for the young men. We've been going through the Psalms, and we're through the mid-20s, 25 is what we did last week. And it's been a really encouraging study to be able to gain a better insight of who God is and the God that we worship. And I think 24 will really help us set up for Psalm 119. Psalm 119, uh, 33 through 40, there's really a sense, a, a communication here from the psalmist of a deep sense of dependence, uh, a deep and extreme need for grace, a deep and extreme need for God to show himself strong. To us as believers. And so I want to, I want to approach Psalm 119, 33 through 40 by first going through 24. And I think 24 might help us get into a little better framework uh, mentally there to be able to approach Psalm 119, 33 through 40. Let me read again Psalm 119, 
33 through 40. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts, and in your righteousness give me life. Now let's go to Psalm 24. Just want to focus on a few verses in here. I think to be able to better approach Psalm 119, if we can take the, the cry or the question or the desire of David out of Psalm 24, that will help us better approach Psalm 119. So let's go to Psalm 24 and begin in verse 3. Verse 3. This really, I believe, should be our question. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. So the psalmist David is simply asking the question, who's going to be before God? Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? I want to make a quick point that notice it's not who shall just climb or find himself on the top of the hill of the Lord, some having some spiritual experience that all of a sudden he finds himself before God, but there is this growth, there would be the sanctification call in Scripture, this ascending, this climbing the hill of the Lord, obviously by His grace, who shall stand in His holy place. And I want to focus on these three things here, really four things in verse 4 to set us up for Psalm 119. He who has clean hands, a pure heart, does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. This is the standard by which we approach the Lord. This is the standard by which we're able to enter into his presence. And it's an extremely high standard. Oftentimes we come before Scripture and we have a, a misunderstanding of who we are before a holy God. And we approach him with this air of superiority about ourselves that, yes, I'm a believer, I dress in my nice suit, I go to this certain church, I correspond with these certain believers, and I have the right to stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we can have that view, albeit it's a wrong view, but if we have that, it's going to really darken our ability to understand the Psalms. Because the psalmist Psalm 24, Psalm 119, and many of the other ones certainly have a greater understanding of who they are before God. So I want to start with this standard here to set us into the mental framework we need to be able to take on Psalm 119, 33 through 40. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. How do you clean your hands? You go to water, you take soap, you rub your hands together, you cleanse it. And what the psalmist is talking about here in Psalm 24 is a practical holiness. And notice he starts out with the outward. Is it wrong to start with the outward? No, it's not. Most would say, well, you've got to start with the heart. Yes, you do have to start with the heart, and the heart is the final answer. But the outward is also important. You can't have the outward wrong if the inward's not right, and the, in, the outward can't be right unless the inward is right. We oftentimes take this and, and we think, well, if it's all external religion, it's wrong. No, it's not. 
It's not wrong to have externalized religion. It is wrong if it's not internalized religion. This is what he's saying here. He has clean hands. There's a practical holiness, pursuing God, doing the things that we know we're supposed to do, and a pure heart. Let's go to Matthew 23. Keep your finger in Psalm 24, but just quickly skip over to Matthew 23 here. Christ proclaims this very clearly to the Pharisees. So, first two questions would be, are, do you have, are you walking out your faith in a way that is pleasing, honoring, honoring to the Lord? The second one, is it coming out of a pure heart? Psalm 23, uh, Matthew 23, excuse me, Matthew 23, verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Notice he's not saying the outside is not important. What he's saying is the outside is only as important as it pertains to how well the inside is looking. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, with outward appear, with, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, does that mean that we always correspond to exactly the thoughts and intents of our heart? No, it's not. Because our hearts, according to Jeremiah 17, are desperately wicked. Who can know it? So there are times when we obey externally, even though our heart does not desire to obey. And then we go back to Scripture and we drive our heart closer to the Lord that it might come from an inward motivation. He has clean hands, a pure heart, and does not lift up to his soul what is false. I think this is one of the best questions you could probably ask yourself is, how do you know the condition of your heart? I think the answer to that would be, what does your soul find enjoyment in? What is your soul lifted up by? What is your soul encouraged by? Who does not lift up his soul to what is false? Do you find enjoyment you find satisfaction and that which is not of the Lord, that which is false. Last night we had a conference call with the Infire guys. Chance Winberry quoted Psalm 4, 6. Psalm 4, 4. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts on your own beds and be silent. The need to come before the Lord and analyze your heart honestly and being able to say, where do am I finding enjoyment at this time? Because we really can't approach Psalm 119 unless we understand our, truly understand our need for a Savior and how deeply our sin has infected us. He who has clean hands, a pure heart, does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. That's a very tall order. It's a very high standard by which we have to achieve. And if you can see yourself as there is, I need God's grace to be able to achieve this high standard, then we can go to Psalm 119. So let's go to Psalm 119. Because the psalmist is coming with a deep sense of dependence, a deep, conscious, extreme need for this grace, for, his, for God to pour out His grace upon him. 
The way this psalm, this way this portion of Scripture breaks down is we have four verses, 33, 34, 35, and 36, that are all walk us down, and then 37 through 40 really flesh those things out. So, notice with me, 33, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. So, there's this desiring of, Lord, show me, point out to me your way. So, there's the eyes. We're asking God, open the eyes, and we see this over here in verse 18 of Psalm 119, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. So you're asking God for grace to open your eyes that you might see his way. 34, give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. So you're asking God not only open my eyes to see your way, open my mind to understand your way, explain to me your way and what that way looks like, 35, lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. So not only open my eyes to see your way, open my eyes and help me to understand, explain to me your way. But 35, lead me, put my feet on the right path. A Christian who does not understand the depth of his sin is probably going to stop at 33. God, change my mind, and he might go all the way to 36 and say, change my heart, but he's not going to say, but we, we have this spiritual pride of, if I just have my mind thinking the right things, for sure, or just have, if I can just see God's way, going back to, I just want to know God's will, if I could just see his way, then for sure, my mind's going to follow in the right direction, and then, of course, my feet will trot on this correct path. No, it won't. Your heart is desperately wicked, and you could see it perfectly clearly laid out before you, and yet go over here and do your own thing. Your thoughts begin to stray. Your feet wander the wrong way. So asking for eyes to see, opening of the mind, feet on the right path, and then the first four verses here ends with what obviously we know, which is the heart of the matter, which is the heart. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. So incline my heart to walk along this path. And it's only when you're going to see your desperate need for God's grace or that you're going to ask for God's grace in multiple areas. Now, I want to go back up to verse 34 and flesh out this a little bit. Here the psalmist is asking God to open his mind to help it to explain God's way And what we mean by God's way is Scripture, God's Word. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. The Infire guys have been reading, uh, I think this is our fifth book that we're on for this year. We've been going through lately Martin Lloyd-Jones, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cures. And it's a series, it's a book that came from a sermon series on Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. But I want to read an excerpt from here that I think goes right with this, give me understanding that I may keep your law. Notice something. (coughs) Excuse me. Notice something here about keeping God's law. Now, when we we say that, we oftentimes think of our minds, well, I'm going to not murder. I don't want to commit adultery. I don't want to covet, take God's name in vain, dishonor my father and mother, on down the list of things that we immediately conjure into our mind of what keeping God's law is. But notice what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says. How can such people be convicted of sin? 
If we are concerned about a conviction of sin, the first thing we have to do is stop thinking about particular sins. How difficult we all find this. We have all got these prejudices. We confine sin to certain things only, and because we are not guilty of these, we think that we are not sinners. So, we think of sin, we have a list that comes up in our mind, and we kind of check through, oh, I'm doing pretty good. I haven't done this, 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 and this. I, I'm actually walking pretty well today. These prejudices that come into our mind. But that is not the way to know conviction of sin. The essential point is that the way to know yourself a sinner is not to compare yourself with other people. It is to come face to face with the law of God. And you see that in Psalm 119, 34. Give me understanding that I may keep your law. Follow with me here. It is to come face to face with the law of God. Well, what is God's law? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. I've never done that. Therefore, I am not a sinner. But my friend, that is not the law of God in its entirety. Now, keep your finger in Psalm 119, but let's go to Matthew, Matthew 22. And I'll continue with Martin Lloyd-Jones here, but he's going to pick up in Matthew 22. I think one of the, one thing that would drive us to a deeper relationship with the Lord is something that would allow us to see how much we need Him every day. But because we have such a shallow view of how much we need Him, we have a shallow relationship with Him. Matthew 22, 34. But when the Pharisees heard that He had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees were all about externalized religion. You saw that in Matthew 23, where we read about cleansing the inside, not just the outside. Heard that he had silenced the Sadducee, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, do we think of that as God's law? No, we do not. Normally, we conjure up an image of don't do this, 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 and this, rather than see God's law as something that is a blessing. Here's the summation of the law. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So this is what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. But my friend, that is not the law of God in, in its entirety. Would you like to know what the law of God is? Here it is. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Forget all about drunkards and their like. Forget all the people you read about in the press at the present time. Here is the test for you and me. Are you loving God with all your being? If you are not, you are a sinner. That is the test. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God has made us and he has made us for himself. He made man for his own glory and he intended man to live entirely for him. Man was to be his representative and was to dwell in communion with him. He was to be the Lord of the universe, meaning man. He was to glorify God. As it is put in the Shorter Catechism, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. If you are not doing so, you are a sinner of the deepest dye, whether you know it or feel it or not. 
Well, if we can approach Scripture from that point of view, all of a sudden things drastically change as to our understanding of our relationship and our place before God. Now we're not just comparing myself to this person or that person. Now I'm not just going down a checklist of items. Now I'm asking myself, am I loving God with everything I have? If I'm not, oh, I need His grace. So we go to Psalm 119. Give me understanding that I may keep your law. So see that as a different law now. See that as the entirety of the law. See that as give me, open my mind that I may understand what it means to keep your law, which is loving you with everything in every aspect of my life. And then give me the grace to then walk this out. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart. Do not trust your heart. Be very careful of trusting your heart not to selfish gain, not to idolatry, which is what it is when you put your faith, when you put your confidence, when you put your love on something other than God. Now, those would be the first four verses of 33 through 40. Asking God for the grace to open our eyes, our mind, allow our feet to walk on His paths, and to turn our heart to His ways. But now let's go through 37 through 40. Verse 33 was talking about opening the eyes to the right things. Verse 37 is about closing our eyes to the wrong things. Turn my eyes, meaning guard my eyes, blind my eyes from looking at worthless things. And give me life in your ways. What is God's way? John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but, my, but by me. 38, confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Now, both of these are tied together. 37 and 38 are tied together because you're asking God, don't let me look at the bad things because you've already asked him in 33, let me look at the good things. But then in 40, I'm sorry, in 38, you're asking God, instead of me looking at the bad things, allow that thing to be completely blocked by Scripture. May your promises, see that in 38, confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. May your promise be that which is what I gaze upon, which I delight in, which I find much more pleasing than these worthless things in 37. See, if you, young men, if you asked any godly man in this room about what he would do different in his younger days. He would say many things, but I I can guarantee you he would not say, I regret spending so much time in the Word. I regret spending so much time with the family, etc. He probably would say, I regret looking at some of the things I looked at in my life. I regret letting my eyes wander to where they should not have wandered. Yes, your heart is the issue, But don't let your heart be contaminated by with what you focus your eyes upon. Guard your eyes. That's why why this psalm, we're only 40 verses through, but so many times it's talked about the eyesight because it's keen. It's a gate with which Satan loves to come through. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. We went through in Psalm 25 with the young men. Tuesday night Bible study, all the verses, a lot of verses that show the blessing of God that comes through fearing God. You want wisdom? Fear God. Go with me to Isaiah. 
I just want to point out one verse here. Isaiah 33. We want to fear of God, we have to go back to 34. We're asking God to help us understand the law, help us understand that we need a conviction of sin. But look at 33, Isaiah 33. You want wisdom, you want knowledge, you want stability in your life. Understand that as you're reading Scripture, this is God's Word, and His Word will not return void, and what He promises to do, that He will do. That's not just the promises of blessing, that's also the promises of curse. So look, we have in Isaiah 33, verse 5. Let me start in verse 2. O Lord, be gracious to us, we wait for you. Be our arm every morning, our salvation in the time of trouble. At the tumultuous noise, peoples flee. When you lift yourself up, nations are scattered. And your spoil is gathered as the caterpillar gathers. As locusts sleep, it is leapt upon. Here's where I want to focus, five and six. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. Okay, we have justice and righteousness promised so far. And he will be the stability of your times, abundance of salvation, wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure, or the fear of the Lord is our treasure. Because if we can learn to fear the Lord out of understanding that his promises will always come true, that means that if he loves us, he will discipline us. That means walk in the fear of the Lord that we might not have to experience that discipline. We desire it because we know it's keeping us on the narrow way, but we desire not to go through it sometimes because it's painful, although for a short time it says in Scripture. But you want salvation, you want justice, you want righteousness, you want stability of your times, you want wisdom, you want knowledge, fear the Lord. Verse 38, Psalm 119, confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. What a prayer. God, would you help me to clearly understand that your promises are true, will never return void. Because if that can be clearly understood in our mind, then there would be a great fear of God. Thirty-nine. Last two verses here in this section. 39, turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts, and your righteousness give me life. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Now look with me in verse 21 of Psalm 119, just a few verses back. You rebuke the insolent, meaning God rebukes the insolent, accursed ones, who wonder from your commandments. There is this, and we talked about this before, there is this spirit of pride with which we're coming before the Lord. And there is, there is great spiritual pride that we must battle every single day. Coming before God as if we deserve to be there. Well, we deserve to be there, but only by the grace of God and only through the blood of Jesus Christ, not by any merit of our own. Turn away the reproach. So turn away this pride. Turn away this, this reproach that will come if I have pride, that I dread, for your rules are good. Now, do you dread that? Do you dread a spiritual pride? Let's go to Matthew 7. Matthew 7. This, This should put a fear of God in you. 
721. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now I would say that every single person in here that is saved has come today because they're confessing, Lord, Lord. Will enter the kingdom of heaven. Will not enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name and quote verses in your name and put money in the offering in your name and go down and assist with the poor in your name? Add the list. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Whoa. Have you ever thought how many people in here might have that said to them? I was praying yesterday. I thought, Lord, I know my heart is desperately wicked, and I know I have a lot of spiritual pride. And so I know I could very easily be standing up tomorrow and preaching and be one of those who he says, I never knew you. And so my prayer was, if that's me, certainly change me, but do not allow the hearts of the people who hear your word to be affected by someone who may be walking in such spiritual darkness. I mean, I desire to walk out God's word. That's what it says. It says walk through, if those who enter into the kingdom of heaven are those who walk in God's will. Well, this is God's will, and his will is my sanctification and holiness. And that's gonna be played in out out and do I love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. So I have to go to myself and say, well, if I'm not loving him in every aspect of my life and if I'm walking in known sin and I'm not desiring it and hating it the way he desires me to be, then I need to have an understanding that I could be one of those. And do you have that understanding that you dread this? Turn away the reproach that I dread for your rules are good. How many parents would love to have their teenagers say, come to them and say, oh, mom and dad, I just absolutely love your rules. They're just wonderful. Thank you so much. But that's what we're desiring to have. That's what we should, that we should see that not as a, a boundary that keeps us from freedom, but keep, see that, those rules as freedom. Because if we walk outside of God's ways, it could be the reproach that we dread. Turn away the reproach that I dread for your rules are good. Now, to not, the psalmist in every single one of the last uh, verses in each section, and I'm gonna read those. Psalm 119, verse eight, I will keep your statutes, do not utterly forsake me. 16, I will delight in your statutes, I will not forget your word. 24, your testimonies are my delight, they are my counselors. 32, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. 40, Behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness give me life. Every single one of these verses, if you see it from the biblical context, uh, he's taking himself down, showing himself his sin. The last verse, he always brings himself back up. And that's what we'll end on. 40, let's bring ourselves back up. Behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness give me life, exclamation mark. I'm gonna go to two verses. Go with me to two different passages of Scripture, both in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 5 and 1 Peter 2. 2 Corinthians 5 and 1 Peter 2.
Behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness give me life. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Second Corinthians five twenty one. For our sake he made him, meaning Jesus Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then first Peter two. Twenty four. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. It is imperative that when we come to Scripture that we have a conviction of sin. But it is also imperative that we come to Scripture that we have a biblical understanding of the, of the way it is not that we have been slightly better than somebody else. It is, not better, it is not that we have been raised in a Christian home. It is not that we have done all the good things that we're supposed to do. It is not that we have not committed murder or not committed adultery or not done this or not done this. It is because of His righteousness that we can rejoice. The psalmist understands this, verse 40. Behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness give me life. There's this exaltation that can be taken on because it is not our righteousness that is going to give us life. It is his righteousness through the blood of Jesus Christ that gives us life and gives it abundantly and is the only thing that which we can have life in. So if we come to Psalm 119 or any portion of Scripture and we come in an understanding of our conviction of sin that we are not keeping God's law in the way that he has called us to keep it and loving him with everything that we have, be encouraged to know that his grace is so abundant. He says he removes his, our sin as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? We have no clue how far east goes to west. But if you put yourself as far that way as possible and then as many billions of light ways as far as that way as possible, your sin is still further. Because his righteousness has atoned for us. What a way. What a life. Behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness give me life. So in closing 33 through 40, here's, a psalm, here's the psalmist coming with an understanding of I need you and every facet of my life. I need you to guard my eyes. I need you to change your mind, my mind. I need you, even if that's, that's not enough, I still need you to even put my feet on the right path. And even that's not enough, change my heart. And even that's not enough, then not turn my eyes to looking at the right things rather than the wrong things. Allow me to fear you. And even that's not enough. Your righteousness is all that is really that I can plead for. And then he rejoices. You see that in 41. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. He continues to go through this psalm, but he's going through this. He goes through waves. The psalmist always goes through waves. He's got these uh, great spiritual uh, emotions that ride up and down. But here in 33 through 40, he's coming down, and then he brings himself out as he looks then upon the righteousness of God. And may we do the same. 
May we understand our need for a Savior in every single aspect of our life, but then may we rejoice that we are walking not because of our abilities, but because of his righteousness. Let's pray. Father, it is only by your grace and it is only by your righteousness that we're able to come before you today. And oh Lord, what a joyous thing that that is. Lord, it can be depressing to look upon our hearts and see the sin that we struggle with and see the desire to do the things that we should do and yet we don't and we do the things that we don't want to do. But oh, the joy, Lord, that can come from looking at Scripture and seeing the righteousness of God, the righteousness of your Son that atoned, that justified us for once and for all by his death upon the cross. So Lord, I would simply plead that we might yearn for you that we might not spit upon that righteousness, upon that justification, but it might drive us to know you, to allow you to be Lord and Savior and Master of every aspect of our lives. That we might desire for you to be King of kings and Lord of lords over our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. That our heart would grow in deep love for you as we see the deep and incomprehensible sacrifice that you made upon our behalf, giving of your son, your perfect and one and only son for our lives, for your glory. Father, we thank you for your word, for the opportunity to come to it this morning, and may we take it and apply it to our lives. May we take it home and seek out those areas of our lives that are not in conformity to your word and bring those areas into conformity to your word for your glory, for your glory alone. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.